It is a new year. And it is a blessing to be able to see another year. And uh, it is a blessing to be amongst the people of God and to celebrate another year. It is good. All that we've been through in 2011, God's grace was sufficient. And uh, let's talk about this upcoming year. Let's talk about this theme. It says... Uh, 2012, if you can look straight in the back, we have a theme scripture. Our memory verse of the month, Psalm 119, verse 1, not unto us, not unto us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. We live in a culture that is very me-centered, very self-centered. And even as God's people, we can be very me-centered and very self-centered. But from Genesis chapter 1, God is getting our attention. And he's saying that I created the earth not in order that my creation would be stuck on themselves, but in order that they would be at all at my creation and at all of me. And that they would understand that it's not about them, but it's really about me. And that's our theme, is to remind ourselves throughout the year to renew our minds by reminding ourselves that We are not the center of the universe, that God is the center of the universe and everything in between and that he created us for a purpose. So we'll be looking at this thing uh, for the month of January and part of February. And we're going to look ahead and say, uh, Brother Kevin, you you never cease to amaze me. Amen. We're going to look at our theme, and we're going to look at it in six different ways. So this is what we have to look forward to. This is what's going to happen. Today we're going to deal with this subject, It's Not About Me, and we're going to say, what is it about? It's about God's majestic renown, God's majestic renown, uh, majesty, uh, uh, synonym for that will be glory, okay, uh, or royalty. Uh, It's about God's royal renown, reputation, God's royal fame. It's not about me. It's about God's fame. It's about his royal fame filling the earth. The part uh, after this, and it may not be in this order we'll look at, it's not about me. It's about God exalting Christ-centered homes. (laughs) It's not about me. It's about God-exalted Christ-centered homes. And then we'll look at it from the perspective, it's not about me. Somebody say, it's not about me. Neighbor, it's not about you. I hate to bust your pretty bubble, amen, but it's not about you. What is it about? It's about the welfare of our city. It's about the welfare of our city. God has placed us in this city in order to make this city, to transform this city, to make this city know that God exists, amen? It's not about me. Somebody say, it's not about me. Ask me, what is it about? Great question. It's about the body and the bride of Christ. It's about the church. We'll look at it from that perspective. Great question. It's about God being glorified in my body. It's about God being glorified in my body. It's not about me. Man, you guys are good. It's about God being glorified at my place of employment. 
So we're going to look at this thing from multiple perspectives to remind ourselves that life is not about us and that if our life centers around us, it is going to be pathetic. It is going to be unbalanced. (laughs) It it is going to lead us unto uh, eternal damnation. But if it is about God, it is going to give us joy. Joy is not the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of peace in the midst of trouble. (laughs) Amen. So that's what God has called us to. Let's go to Malachi chapter one. We are not going to start off by reading any verses. We are simply going to read, break down and walk through chapter one. And uh, depending on how time looks, we may look at, at chapter two. So it's not about me. It's about God's majestic, majestic renown. And you can just leave your Bibles open. As we'll walk through it. Father, please bless your word at this time, O God. Open the eyes of our hearts. Be glorified in this preached word. Help me to glorify you, Father God, as I proclaim you knowing that I do not deserve it in my own state or status. But as a result of your son's blood, Father God, you have made us all worthy to read and to receive your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right. So earlier we quoted the 97th division of Psalm, verse 1, which says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. In Psalm 67, verse 3 and 4, which says, Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. From the very beginning of creation, and even with the fall of man, God had a purpose. And his purpose was to show himself to a group of people that we have come to know as Israel and the Jews. And that this small group of people, that they would worship him in spirit and in truth, that they would love him, and that as a result of them loving him and worshiping him, God would make a covenant with them, and God would, through them, make his name famous. So from the very beginning, God had a plan, and his plan was to make his name known, make his renown, his reputation, his fame known throughout the world. From day one, God had a plan, and his plan was to fill the earth with his name being sweet among every people. And we read this thing throughout the Bible, whether in the Old Testament or rather in the New, that God will make his name great. That every tribe, every ethnic group, every people at the end of time, at the end of the world, they will stand before his face. A person represented from each of these tribes will stand before his presence and they will praise him. They will be glad. They will rejoice in the salvation that he has provided. Let the peoples praise thee, O Lord. Let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Catch this genuine, passionate 
worship of God from his people is the means by which God is going to be cherished by the nations. Genuine, passionate worship from his people is the means by which God is going to be praised, is the means by which God gets the attention of the nations and the nations look and say, what in the world is going on with these people? And these people worship because it's so passionate and because it's so pure and because it's, 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 it's so anointed. These, these other nations look and say, that God must be a great God. Because the way that they worship him. John Piper has a quote and he says this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So in essence, what he's saying is the reason that we need mission efforts and the reason why we have to, uh, many churches in many places, beg for people to give to missions to go to the nations is essentially be, because the, the worship of God, from God's people, uh, it, it, it fails. If God's people were passionately and purely worshiping him in the way in which they should, then the nations would take notice of it. And they were here. That was God's design with Israel from the very beginning, that they would worship God in such a way and that God would work through them in such a way and bless them in such a way that the nations would take notice and his fame, his fame, his reputation, that it would multiply throughout the earth. Worship is the vehicle. It is the means by which God is glorified in the midst of his people. If our worship stinks... Our witness about God to the world stinks. In Malachi chapter 1, we see that the children of Israel had a sour worship. They had a sour worship. Their worship did not smell good to the Lord. And as a result, God's reputation in the earth was not good. Because their worship was not good. What is worship? Worship is giving supreme worth to one who is worthy. Their attempts to show that God was worthy was bad. Therefore, his name amongst the nations was despised. So we're going to look at this text and we're going to look at why God, why our worship deserves to be about God and not about us. Because many times we worship God on, on our standards. And we worship God on our own terms. God has revealed in Scripture how he is to be worshipped. And when we worship God, contrary to his revelation, then his witness is marred. And not only is his witness marred, but our lives become more marred and more broken because we have not chosen. 
We have not chosen the God who has promised to satisfy us if we delight in him. See, our problem is not that we pursue great things and great, uh, 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 but our problem is that we pursue things that are not great by not pursuing God. When we pursue that which is great, which is God, God greatly shows up and manifests his presence amongst his people in a variety of ways. So Malachi chapter 1, the children of Israel here are going to be confronted with God about worship. And God is going to tell them, it's not about you, it's about me. The, The name Malachi means my messenger. Malachi's name means my messenger, okay? Malachi was a prophet. A prophet is one who speaks on behalf of God. One who speaks on behalf of God. The interesting thing about the book of Malachi is that while Malachi is God's messenger, the book in chapter 3, we'll see in the first five verses, it points to another messenger that will come and prepare the way for Jesus. This book was written about five centuries uh, before Jesus, or I should say four centuries before Jesus coming. So let's look at verse 1. It says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, my messenger. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So here's the issue. Let me uh, summarize what, what is being said here. Israel had a problem. The problem was is that they were uh, disciplined by God. Okay, they turned their back on God. They did not worship God solely. They worshiped the God of the nations and therefore God out of love disciplined them. He sent them into exile. Okay, read that in Jeremiah, how he sent them into exile. He allowed Babylon and the Assyrians to come in and to reign over them. And they were mistreated badly. It was a horrible scene. God raised up these nations and allowed them to discipline them. So now we're at a point where God has gathered Israel once again. And now Israel is moving back into their original land. Malachi is a contemporary of Nehemiah and Ezra. So they have moved back into their land. They're starting to get their land together. And they're thinking... As the text says, they are saying, God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? They were questioning the love of God. And why were they questioning the love of God? They were questioning the love of God because God had disciplined them. But God is saying, no, I really do love you. Hebrews chapter 12 teaches us that God disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplined them because he loved them, just like you would discipline your child, not because you hate them if you, if you are a God-fearing person, but because you love them. You want them to do better. But they were walking around, they're back in their land, and they're saying, God does not love us. How do you love us? And this is what God said. God said, you know that I loved you because I went into covenant with you. I chose you. I chose you 
instead of the nations. That's what he says, means when he says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Jacob was the father of, of Israel. His name was changed to Israel. These are his descendants. He said, I loved you enough, in essence, to snatch you out of bondage, out of Egypt, and to save you, and to reveal myself to you. That's how you know that I loved you. But when the people don't understand God's love, when we fail, even as believers, to, to think about how deep he loves us, how intricate his love is as, as New Covenant Christians, that he loved us enough to give us his very best in Jesus Christ, and he allowed Jesus to bear his wrath and to die a death that we deserve, and then... He allowed us, if we look to Jesus through faith, by faith, he allows us to be credited with Jesus' righteous life. If we understood the depths of God's love, true worship would manifest. But when we don't understand the depths of God's love, false worship proceeds. Oh, dear Christian, dear believer, may you see that no one has ever loved you the way God loves you. And no one will ever love you the way God has loved you. So listen to how, what God says through, them, through Malachi. A son hears his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts. To you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? So God starts off and he says, listen, a son honors his father and a servant his master. And Israel would have knew exactly what he was talking about. Because the fifth commandment is honor your mother and your father. An Israelite was taught to always honor your parents. That word honor, when we think about honor, it is closely related to the word weight or to weigh much. He's saying if, if your father weighs much to you, if he matters much to you, like, a, like gold or a bunch of gold, then you will honor him, right? You will honor him. So he says a son naturally honors his father and a servant his master. But if I am your father, and we know that this is an analogy that's used throughout the scripture, God is always speaking to Israel as their father. From the time of the Exodus, I am your father, you are my child. And he says, where is my honor? And if I am your master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest. What God is saying here is, it's amazing, Israel, how you respect people who are broken, but you don't respect me. He says, it's amazing that you respect and honor your, your master and your father, but you, you don't respect and honor me the way that you should. It's amazing that you, you love man and that you would seek after man so much that you would neglect and that you would neglect me. Now, he is talking to the priest of Israel here. He says, O priest. And he does the same thing in chapter 2, verse, verse 1. We see that he is addressing the priest of Israel. The priests were the most important people of Israel from the very beginning. 
not the kings, the priest. Because it was the priest's job to teach the people what true worship was. It was the priest's job to show them how to do sacrifices and what the law of God said. They were the most important people in Israel. They were the leaders of Israel. And he is addressing the priests because he is holding them accountable for the people's worship. It is often said that a people would not surmass, <laughs> would not surmass or, or pass their leadership. It's often said that. That a people, a church, a, a flock will not go past that in which their, their leaders are willing to take them. So God is holding the priest accountable for Israel's slothful attitude in fearing him. You hear what he says? If I am your master, why don't you fear me? Now, we think of fear, we think of, you know, reverence or respect. But the fear of God, it, 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 it goes beyond just reverence or respect. It is, a, it is a terrifying reverential respect. It is a heavy respect. It is, it is, it is, it is deep. As our driver says, the foundation of the religious temper is the fear of God. This brings with it a natural disposition to walk in all his ways and ends with the devotion of the entire being to his love and service. Foundation of religion, the foundation of a spiritual pursuit is, is fearing God. It is, it is respecting him terribly. But I like what R.H. Heffer says, he says, religion in general is the tension between opposite feelings of fear and longing at its highest level. Religion is love accompanied by a humble sense of infer. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just totally messed up that quote. Let me start off. Religion is love accompanied by a humble sense of being inferior, reverent trust in an immensely powerful and fearful deity who is at the same time just and beloved. So true fear of God, when we truly fear God, it is because we, we, we see how holy he is, we see how, how righteous he is, we see how just he is, but we also see how loving he is. If we just fear God because he is holy without seeing that he loves us, then, then we won't be useful. We will not be devoted to him. We will see him as a hard taskmaster. We will see him as an unjust father. But when we mix that fear with a longing for him, then the appropriate response comes. So he says, if I am your father, where is my honor? In order to honor something, two things must take place. The first thing is, is you must see its importance. You must see its weight. You must see its worthiness. But the second thing is, not only must you see it, but you must respond to it. So how do we respond when we honor someone? The appropriate way in which we respond is we respond by praising them. By praising the qualities and the attributes by which we honor them. But with God, it's not just praising him. Praising is just one part. We'll see that in a minute. The other part is obeying him. Honoring God is, is praising him as well as obeying him. But look, let's follow me. Keep, keep going. He's addressing these priests, and he uses a name. He says, O Lord of hosts. We'll see this used all throughout this passage. 
a number of different times, over six times. And this this name, the, the Lord of hosts, is a name that he often uses throughout the scriptures. The Lord of hosts is, is a name or a title that, that God uses in order to, to show Israel that he is the Lord of all things that were created. That everything that is created is under his leadership or his dominion. Everything in this earth belongs to him. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of the heavens. He is the Lord of everything that was created in the heavens. The first time we see this idea of host is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. After God created the heavens and the host, everything that is in the heavens, the angels, as well as every single human being. He is the host. He is the owner of the rich as well as the poor, of the master as well as the slave. This name is meant to communicate his majesty, his power, his authority. And to summon Israel back to him and to remind them that he is worthy of praise. So he's using this phrase throughout this passage. To the priests who have despised, that's what it says, who has despised his name. So we're also going to see in this passage as we travel throughout this passage and as we look at true worship and worshiping God on his terms, that God is most concerned about his name. The name of a person represented their character and their reputation. It it represented the very essence in who they are. God is most concerned about his reputation his renown amongst the nation. And God today is most concerned about his reputation amongst the world. But he says, oh, priests, you have despised my name. But listen to how they respond in verse 6. But you say, how have we despised your name? Israel responds by saying, how in the world Have we despised your name? They they are oblivious to what they're doing wrong. And the reason that they're oblivious to what they're doing wrong is because they have rejected God's revelation, which is God's word. They are blind to their sin. And we'll see in a minute, their sin And their lifestyles, even though it is dramatically missing God's mark, doesn't really matter to them. You know, we stay in an age where sin doesn't really matter anymore. People have redefined sin as just grievant uh, offenses. They have just, we have redefined sin as just murdering someone or adultery. But the Bible teaches us that sin is not just murdering someone. It's not just these these big offenses that we think about. But the Bible throughout the Old Testament shows that God takes sin very serious. And in the New Testament it says sin is not just our deeds, but it's our thoughts. Sin is disobeying God. It is not reverencing, not honoring God. John Piper says sin occurs when the glory of God is not honored, 
when the holiness of God is not reverence, when the greatness of God is not admired, when the power of God is not praised, when the truth of God is not sought, when the wisdom of God is not esteemed, when the beauty of God is not treasured, when the goodness of God is not savored, when the faithfulness of God is not trusted, when the promises of God are not relied upon, when the commandments of God are not obeyed, when the justice of God is not respected, when the wrath of God is not feared, when the grace of God is not cherished, when the presence of God is not prized, when the person of God is is not loved. Sin is us disobeying a perfect, disobeying a perfect God who cannot embrace imperfection. It's a big deal to God. And even as we are under the new covenant, as we been, have been saved by grace, we want to make sure that we do not belittle sin, that we do not just say, oh, oh, grace will cover it. Paul says, certainly not. So grace abound in order that sin may abound? He said, heck he no. But they are completely oblivious. My fear in this generation is, is two things. Number one is that the people of God, is that, that, that we don't believe that God has a right to discipline us for our sin. And we treat sin, we treat failing in worship as if it really doesn't matter. We approach a holy God without trembling, a great God without reverencing him. Second, it's, my fear with this generation is, is that we will be swept away. The church will be swept away into the world's picture of God. That we will not see God as one who hates evil and hates sin, but God is one who tolerates evil and tolerates sin. And that 20 to 40 years from now, the church will have no foundation, no grounds to stand on. And it's happening amongst us as, as, as the people come to God in, in lackluster worship, as I come to God in lackluster worship, and, and I'm not even able to see how his name is being despised because I'm not able to see him as he is as a result of not cherishing his word. The priest did not cherish his word, therefore they had no idea. At least it appears that they had no idea to how he, they were disrespecting him. And listen to what he says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised when you offered blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? And when you offer those who are lame or is sick, is that not evil? The priest of God were responsible for being a mediator between the people and God. They were responsible to teaching them how to worship. The people would bring offerings to God. They would bring uh, their animals to God in order to, to have those animals slain, in order to communicate to God that we understand that we are a sinful people and that our sins must be paid for, that something must die as a result of our disobedience. So the priests were to receive their offerings. Not only were they to receive their offerings, but they were to check out their offerings. They were to look at their offerings and examine it and see if it was worthy. To see if it looked good enough for God. 
Deuteronomy chapter 15 and 1. God says these words. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, that's not Deuteronomy 15.1. Amen. You have it up? You don't have it? Okay, amen. <laughs> that's Malachi 1.8. I was trying to see if y'all was paying attention. Amen. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 19. All the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You shall eat it. You and your household before the Lord your God year by year at the place that the Lord will choose. But if it is has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. So God is saying, I, you, you better not bring a blind animal, a lame animal to me and sacrifice it upon my altar. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 1, you shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect, whatever. For that is an abomination to the Lord your God. God says that it is an abomination, that is evil for you to bring an animal that is not worthy of sacrifice. That's what we see happening here in Malachi chapter 1. They are offering polluted food. They are offering blind animals, and God says that is evil. And when you offer those that are lame or sick, he says, is that not evil? Listen to what he says. Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Now, the governor of Israel, as a result of them being in, in this uh, post-exilic state and not having a king, the governor was the most important person in Israel, Okay. Uh, they, they respected their governor. He was elected by the people and he represented the people to, to, uh, to Babylon uh, and to the king. He says, if the, if the governor was to come to you, would you offer him a blind animal? Would you offer him something that was polluted and nasty and dirty? And what is the issue here? The issue is worship. This sacrificial system was about worship. God had them going through all of this in order to remind them that he was to be pursued and that they were to give their best to him. They would give the firstborn of their flock, the best in their flock to him in order to, signal, to, 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 to remind themselves and to let God know you are worthy of this. And God says, wait a minute, you treat humans better than you treat me. And I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm the strong one. I'm the great one. I'm the one who created the heavens and the earth. And yet you will give your governor your best and not me. When people come over to our house and they spend time with us and, and we, we like them and we invite them over for dinner, we make sure that the house is looking good, don't we? We make sure it looks good, even if that means we take everything and throw it in the closet and clean up the common areas, right? Closets just be full. We be praying, please don't let them open that door and try to put their coat in their closet, right? We want to make sure that it is its best. And we make sure that we cook whatever uh, our, our best dish is, right? And we clean, the bathroom's clean, because we want to show them that we respect them, that we, that we, we, want, we are honoring them by having them over, and that we're honored to have them in our presence. But do we do that with God? We, we live in his presence daily. We have been created by God. We have been saved by God. We have been called by God. We are his chosen people, elected before the foundations of the earth. And the question that I want to ask us today is, is how are we hosting? How are we offering our lives to him? 
Are we treating him as he is, this great God, or as a, a mere human? This year, this summer, in June, President Obama visited uh, Puerto Rico. And it was the first time that a, a president visited uh, Puerto Rico on official business. And he visited. And uh, we were on our mission trip at the time, and uh, the team was uh, back in the area in Ponce uh, one evening, and, and I went up with another guy from, one of, from the church that we were working at, a guy named Winston, who was really neat. And uh, we drove all the way back up to San Juan, the capital, which was about an hour, 15-minute drive. And while we were driving up there, he just talked about how, he just kept talking about how much it meant for Puerto Rico that President Obama was coming. And he says, Jamal, I want to show you something. And we drove into San Juan, and he took me up some streets. And he said, these streets just two weeks ago were despicable. They had potholes. And for a couple decades, we have been trying to get the city to fix these areas. He said, the moment that President Obama said that he was coming, within five miles of the airport, they put blacktop down. And the areas in San Juan that did not look good, just in case he was going to visit it, they built it up. Because they thought much of President Obama. Do we think much of God? God says we, we go out our way to please people. We go out our way to make sure that things are looking good for people. But do we go out our way to make sure that God is pleased above all? He says, it's evil for us not to do so. See, Israel's problem is that, is that they made worship about them. They wanted to do enough to get past. The only people who would know that they were offering bad sacrifices to the priests were the person who was offering the bad sacrifice to the priests. They just wanted to look good standing in line with everyone else to go before the priest. And the priest just wanted to, to look good. He put on a facade before the people. They were going through the motions of worship. Verse 9. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand will he show, you fa show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. So they were actually giving their sacrifice and they were thinking that God, God is going to bless me with this, with this offering. They were handing their sacrifice in and they were saying, God, be, give me favor. Bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory. And look at what God says. He says, with such a gift from your hand, will, Malachi says, will God show favor to you? Look at this next response. He says, says the Lord of hosts. Why does he keep saying, says the Lord of hosts? He is trying to remind them of his greatness. He's trying to remind them that he does not compare to their earthly fathers, their earthly masters, that he does not compare to their earthly governor, that he is all powerful. When Israel would go into battle, they would entreat Yahweh of hosts. They would entreat him and he would show up and say, I am the Lord of hosts, go in battle. And there were times when they didn't even have to fight because the angelic host would come through and smite out of people. He was trying to remind them that they are offering lacklustered worship, lacklustered praise to a holy God. Look what he says. 
Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. He says, I wish that there were just one person in the midst of you who would just go up to the temple and close it. He is saying that bad worship makes him very upset. So upset to the point that he doesn't even, he'd rather have good worship or, or no worship at all. He says, oh, that there was someone in this generation. Oh, that there was someone who would remember my word, who would remember that I'm holy, who would remember that I deserve to be praised and to be honored. If there was someone who had enough sense to just shut it down. Isn't that what Jesus does in the New Testament? See, we think that the issue is about money when he clears out the temple. That's just part of the issue, is that they were using God to, to get rich. But the issue was about worship. The issue was that the place in which was supposed to be a, a place of prayer, a place where the nations would look to and, and stand in awe of God. He, and the issue was that they had d- despised it, that they had cheapened it, that they had made worship about them and their money, their career, their business. God does not care first about our success in this world. He cares first about our holiness and us revering him as holy. Oh, this generation that God would raise up some children, that he will raise up our grandchildren in the midst of a generation that worships themselves and think that they're worshiping God, that he will raise up some bold people and say, no, this is not good worship. No, this is not acceptable. Oh, that he will raise up some missionaries. Oh, that he will raise up some preachers. Oh, that he will raise up some evangelists that will say, no, we will not offer God this mess. No, we will not enter into his presence thinking about us and for us saying, God, bless us when we won't bless God. Oh, that we will raise up some children that will say, no, America is not a Christian nation. America does not love God. How does America love God when we lead the world in abortions? How does America love God when we allow marriage to be redefined? How does America love God when we no longer think that sin is sin? We have forgotten that God deserves our best worship. And that even as children of God, in the midst of our filthiness and in the midst of our disgusting worship, we have forgotten that God is still gracious as a result of the blood of his son being splattered on a cross. Should we find favor with God? God bless America. America bless God. Oh, that there was one, one like Phineas, one who, who saw God being taken lightly as sin was going rapid in the land and as people disobeyed God and, and as a curse came upon God, people, there was a man who stood up with a spear and who took a spear and who killed those who were taking God lightly. And you know God is against murder, but God cares more about his glory. What did God do to Phineas? He rewarded Phineas because of his zeal and his love for God's holiness. 
God says, I have no pleasure in you, says what? The Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. An offering from your hand. This is, this is really a theme throughout the, the minor prophets and throughout the Bible. Um, we, we see God saying the same thing in Isaiah chapter 1. Listen to what God said in Isaiah chapter 1. He starts the book off by saying these words. Verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifice, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moon and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. God says that their worship has brought a burden to them. This is the God of the universe who loves us deeply and who cherishes them deeply. And he's saying that your, your attempts to satisfy me with these vain offerings, they disgust me, they burden me. Lackluster worship burdens God. When you spread out your hands, will I hide my eyes from it? Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the eyes of of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. There's a point in the Old Testament where God says, listen, you guys don't get it. Your sacrifices is not what moves me. What moves me is your faith and your obedience. That's why when David sinned with Bathsheba in the 51st division of Psalm, when he came before the Lord, he says, Lord, I know that you do not delight in the sacrifices of, of bulls and goats. He says, but you delight in a clean heart. And what did he say? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renewing me the right spirit. God delights in a broken heart, in a contrite heart. The Bible says it, not me, amen. For from the rising of the sun to its settings, my name will be great amongst the nation, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. What is God most concerned about? He's most concerned about his majestic renown. He's most concerned about his reputation, his reputation in the dark places of this world. And he says, you know what, priest? You are offering me the sacrifice, but I want you to know something. I will be praised. I will be made great. Even if my people don't praise me, I will be praised. Isn't that what Jesus said when he entered into Jerusalem? And the Pharisees was complaining because the disciples were praising him. And he says, if you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. And God is telling the Jews, he's saying, listen, if you don't give me the worship I deserve, Israel, I'm going, I'm going to get my worship. And how is God going to get his worship? Through the Gentiles. Through other means. But I don't know about you, I want God to get what he deserves from me. I don't need someone else to praise God for. He's been too good to me. Continues. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. 
of hosts again. But you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be displeased. Now look at verse 13. This is the, the key. This is, the, this is what causes lack, lustered worship. This is, what, this is the attitude that causes God to not find delight in our worship. Look at what he says. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and his fruits, that is, his food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or lame or sick, and this you bring as an offering. Shall I accept it from your hand, says the Lord of hosts. Listen to what God is saying. The reason why they were not bringing God their best, they had an excuse. They said, we're tired. We're weary. This, this that you have commanded us to do is too much. Giving you my first fruit, giving you the best lamb of my flock, it takes too much time for me to go out in the field and to find the best to offer to you. God, we're tired. And he says they, they snort at him by having a, an attitude of, of tiredness and an excuse of, of tiredness. The Bible says that they, they, in essence, God sees that as them sniffing or them, them turning their nose up at him. Oh, that we would never bring God a weary worship. Oh, that God would not allow us to, to worship out of habitual weariness. Oh, how we ride early in the morning to go to a job. But oh, how burdensome it is to be on time to 11 a.m. worship. Oh, how we will rise to take our kids to a ball game. But how burdensome it is to set aside time to devotion and read our Bibles in a moment. Oh, how easy it is for us to rise on Black Friday to go to the store to get a gift. As Minister Maceo said, when God has given us the best gift and we should rise early in the morning, every day recognizing that, our blood, that his blood was shed for our behalf and that we have eternal life. Oh, how weary we are. Oh, what excuses I have on a Sunday morning for not being here for 9 a.m. prayer. Oh, what a weariness it is to offer God prayer. What a weariness it is to live holy before the Lord, to, to give God my body and to wait for marriage. What a, what a weariness it is for me to set aside money to make sure that God's mission is going forth. What a, what a weariness it is for me to delight in his law and in his word. What a, a weariness it is. Let's look how God responds. Verse 14, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and who vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared. He says, Cursed be the cheat. Now let's, let's skip to chapter 2. I want to just show you guys the law. I want to show you how God was grieved by Israel missing the law. And we've seen it throughout this text. Look at verse 13, the language that God uses to show his displeasure. 
Look at verse 13, the language, verse 3, the language that God uses to show his displeasure with Israel's lackluster worship. Oh, this grips, grips my heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with. This is a holy, pure God using some very tough language. He says, I will, the very, the very offerings that you are bringing to me, when they will bring an offering, God would take the entrails, the, the priest would take the entrails of the offering out, and the dung out, and they would take that dung, and take the entrails, and they would take it outside of the camp, outside of Jerusalem, and they would burn it, because they did not want that before God's presence. God's saying, that entrails those entrails, that, that dung, I'm going to take it because I'm so displeased with you, old priest, and I'm going to spread it on your face, and I'm going to kick you out of my presence. I'm going to drive you away from my house because you don't take me serious. Because I'm nothing more to you than a ritual. I'm nothing more to you than an everyday thing. You don't even honor me more than you honor your governor. You honor, you speak and you praise Obama more than you do. You praise Kobe Bryant more than you do. You will shudder in his presence before you will shudder in my presence and in my word. God was displeased. And chapter 2 tells us as a result, he rejected the priest. In verses 6 through, through 9, he tells us who, what he's looking for. He's looking for a priest like the original Levites. He says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord, of hosts. But you have turned aside from your way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. When when people who are supposed to represent God do not take him serious and do not take his worship serious, we defame his name in their presence. Our co-workers, our neighbors, our loved ones do not want to worship our God because we don't take him serious. But he says, oh, that there was one like Levi. says, who stood in awe of my name. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you some good news real quick. The good news is, is that we can never worship God in the way that he deserves without his spirit. These priests, they were under the old covenant. Israel did not know Jesus. In chapter 3, we see that Malachi turns his attention away from the priest, and he puts it on a future messenger. And his messenger is John the Baptist. He says that there will, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight below, he is coming. So God takes their attention off of their wretchedness and their sinfulness and their, their lack of true worship, and he puts his attention to a coming messenger who we know by John the Baptist and we read early on in the Gospels, and this messenger is going to preach about a coming person. This messenger is going to preach about a coming Messiah. 
And the Bible says, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. God gives them hope. By saying one will come, a a messenger of a new covenant, and he will purify Levi. He will build up some some priests who will love him, who will adore him. And they will be righteous. And how will they be righteous? They will be righteous because he is righteous and because they look at his righteousness for their righteousness. We are those priests. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. So the priest's responsibility was to worship God. It was to be mediators between God and the people. It was to serve him in such a way that the nations would find delight in him. God says, I will end this priesthood. That will be an embarrassment to you. But I will raise up someone who will raise up new priests. new priest who would love me. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel both talk about how one day God is going to do a new thing. That God is going to allow his spirit to dwell on the heart of man. That he's going to take a, a, a cold, stony heart and he's going to make it a heart of flesh. And how he's going to cause dry, dead bones to rise. And he's going to raise up an army that will be most concerned about his glory. First Peter chapter two, verse nine, it says, but you are a chosen race. Peter is talking to to these Gentiles. He's talking to these people whom God has raised up. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter says, listen, you are that priesthood. You who sit here today, who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and who have been regenerated, who have been made new, you are the new Levite. You are the chosen ones whom God has called. And what has he called you to do? He's called you to do two things. Peter says, number one, he's called you to proclaim his excellencies. As a result, of what Jesus did for us, we are called to proclaim how excellent he is. Isn't that what Malachi was getting our attention, what God was doing in Malachi? He said, I am the Lord of hosts. I am your father. I am your master. I am a great king. He's saying, I deserve to be praised and proclaimed as these things. God is saying the same thing here today. I am your father, our father who art in heaven. I am your daddy. Those who cry out to God, cry out, what? Abba, father, I am your father. Honor me as your father. Honor me as your master. Worship me. Be concerned about my majesty, my excellence. For you once were not a people. You once were cast away. You once were dead in your trespasses and sins. But I have made you alive, Ephesians chapter 2. And I've done that as a result of grace and through faith. 
Israel forgot that they were once a people in bondage, a people without land, a people without purpose. They had forgotten that God came through, saved them miraculously, and placed them as his people. May we not forget that. One thing is to proclaim his excellencies. That's what God has called us to do, to to worship him, to know him. The only way we worship God truly is by knowing him. And the only way we know him is by going to his word. Now, listen to me. Listen to me when I say this. We forget how holy God is because we approach his word lightly. I'm going to make some people mad here. And as you can probably tell today, I don't care. Now, I think that there are some good things that come out of those little daily breads. I think that they are. Uh, daily breads is a little publication that you can read and it has a small scripture and a small ex- uh, exhortation. I think that there are some good things that can come out of those daily breads. But I'm telling you, if that is your diet, you are starving for God. I wish that they weren't called daily breads. They should be called daily crumbs or appetizers. The reason we don't fear and tremble before God is because we don't know him. I was reading the Old Testament. I'll be honest, I got mad this week. I was at a coffee shop. I said, I'm just going to open my Bible. I'm just going to read as much as I can through the Old Testament. God, I just want to see your face. Open my Bible. I said, let me read Deuteronomy. I read uh, the majority of Deuteronomy. And there was a part of the law where I actually, I got upset. And, and it's sin, I'm not sure if it was sinful or if it was, but I said, God, who are you? God cared so much about details. He cared so much about little things. He, he cared about things that we would say does not matter. He cared about measurements and lengths and, and widths. And God said, I'll tell you who I am. I'm holy. And my people have forgotten that I'm holy. My people forgot that I do care about the little things. I do care about integrity. I do care. He's gracious. And the reason I'm not focusing on his graciousness is because I think that we take it for granted. Romans 12, 1 and 2, what what offerings, what sacrifices do we offer? We no longer offer bulls and goats. And why do we no longer offer bulls and goats? Because Jesus came. The whole sacrificial system pointed towards Christ. It pointed towards Christ. The reason he wanted an unblemished lamb, an unblemished bull, is because it was going to point to an unblemished sacrifice, and that was his son. Jesus would live the perfect life that we could not live. And the Bible says that when Jesus died upon a cross, that a veil was torn. It was ripped in half, and that was signifying that there was no need for a Levitical priesthood, that Aaron's priest no longer had to do it, because Hebrews chapter 10 says Jesus died once. He sacrificed himself once and for all. The sacrificial system was to point to man's sinfulness and God's holiness. 
And that God would appease our sin, that he would no longer uh, cast our sin against us because something had died. Jesus Christ fulfilled that. But what are we to offer God now? The Bible says that we are priests. Why does he use the word priest? Because we are still offering God something. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourself, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A living sacrifice. He said you are to offer yourself to God. Do not be conformed to this world. Is it? It can be weary trying not to conform to this world. But God says, don't, don't, don't be weary and well-doing. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this entertainment in this world. Do not allow your mind to be corrupted and grasped by it. I was watching BET the other day, and they used to have commercials that uh, was about uh, protection. And uh, against sexually transmitted diseases. And the commercials when I was growing up showed a man and a woman. And it was telling them to protect yourself. The other day I saw a commercial and it was a man and a man in a heated situation. And it was a commercial for protection. Fifty years ago, may I mind you, that I Love Lucy, (laughs) which was a program, that in that program, that Lucy was not allowed to sleep in the same bed as her husband. And when she had gotten pregnant, that they covered it up because they did not want to taint the minds of the generation. And she was married. Even though we were not a Christian nation, we still had some Christian values. Why am I ranting? I, 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 why why am, I, I go, am I going this route and, and taking this solemn? Because I want you to understand something. God has called us to be on mission. We are his priest. He is a holy God. We need to tremble at his holy. We all fall short of God's standard. And every single one of us at times brings blind and and lame offerings. Even as I stand here, my offering before God is, is probably not unblemished. But this is what's glorious. And this is what should motivate us to offer up true sacrifices, to go hard for God now. This is what should compel us to love God wholeheartedly is this is that even in our blemished offerings, that even in our stubbornness, even in our failures, in the sight of God, we are declared righteousness, righteous because of the blood of Jesus. That when we fall short, and we will fall short, that Jesus' blood makes atonement for us. And that we are fully accepted by God fully cherished by God, fully loved by God, even though we may be displeasing God and grieving his spirit.
So what's our theme about? Our theme is, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about God's majesty and God's renown. This is what I want to challenge us with as we get ready to leave and go home. I want to challenge us with this picture and remind us that God has saved us, that he loves us, that he has set us apart for his glory. This red tape here represents our life and our lifespan. The average American could easily live to be 75 years old. This represents now. The rest of this rope, which is tangled up right now, (laughs) it represents life after death. It represents eternity. The Bible teaches us that what we do with this life, this red portion, will dictate the way we spend eternity. The Bible is more specific. And it says that with this life, if we do not put our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, that when we die, that God will reject us from his presence. And for eternity, forever, for billions and billions of years, we will live in utter misery because we have rejected that which is greatest. God will answer our desires and our prayers by casting us away. When a person says, I do not want Jesus, I do not want God, I want to be my own God, I want to worship God on my terms, we are saying, I don't want to be in God's presence. And God gives us our wish at death, and we are without his presence. The presence of God is what allows any good in this world. It is because of God's presence that we get to enjoy the things that we enjoy that are good. Without God's presence, it is utter chaos. If God's presence, if his common grace was not keeping this earth right now, this earth would be not fit to live. But a lot of us, we make decisions now based on this, this red area. We decide who we're going to date based on this time span. We decide what we're going to do Saturday night based on this time span. And that's foolish. Because there's so much more of life after this time span. God has given us 
this time span in order that we would know him and cherish him and in order that one day we will be in his presence forever. And not just us in his presence, but the nations in his presence. Don't you want to worship God with people from other dialects, other tribes? Don't you want to worship God as you behold his glory? His majesty and his renown. It starts with us cherishing God now. May this be the year that we care more about God than we do about our our own lives. May our lives center around him and not ourselves. God saved you for a purpose. And he has so much in store for us. so much in store for this church. If we will repent from our worthless worship and cry out to God and say, God, save us, raise up a church, not that just will exist in this community, but that will transform this community. I believe that God can do that. But our worship cannot be centered on us. It cannot be centered on a certain sound. It cannot be centered on us being entertained. 